Hello and welcome to episode number 309 of the Armin Show podcast. It is in person, as you can see. My guest on today's show, this is quite exciting for me because it's such a new location. It's very different for me. Scotland, University of Glasgow, Professor Leroy Cronin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's glad to be here in person. I am very glad for it. It is a return to great times. Now, you are the Regis Chair of Chemistry at Glasgow. How did you get into this position? Um, I got into this position, I guess, in 2013. I came to Glasgow in 2002, and uh, the Regis Chair was vacant for a few years, and um, um, they decided to appoint me, and then they asked the Queen to sign the letter. And that's what happens. She signed it. You are in. <laughs> something like something like that it was a quite an interesting process but the these chairs are quite ancient this my chair goes back 200 years and it was it was uh, given by king george the third the one that lost the us oh so in uh you know in so and the chair was established in 1817 200 years ago that's wonderful now history behind things is is wonderful one thing out of my, my curiosity, the other building at the university that is the older one, is that used or is that not used so much? No, it's used. It's where the administra- a lot of the admin offices there. There are some still some subjects in there as well. The bit, the, the kind of like the Hogwarts-like looking building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I looked at it and I was like, some things look different. I don't know how usable it is, but it is used. That's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it, yeah, it's all used. This is cool. How did you get into the field of chemistry in the first place? Um... I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I, I guess I don't really see myself as a chemist. I see myself more as a scientist. And I, I guess I, be- I became a chemist because I had no other educational uh, uh, opportunities. It kind of I was because of my schooling, mm-hmm. I was limited from doing physics or or math. Um, so I I figured that chemistry would be good. I was interested in chemistry. Um, and I went to university to study chemistry because I was interested in how the universe works. Mm-hmm. And so I was never really there for a love of chemistry, um, other than the love of chemistry that my kind of my teachers gave me when we were doing chemical reactions, of which we did quite a lot when I was at school, you know, setting fire to as many things possible in a controlled laboratory or uncontrolled laboratory environment seems to be the trick to get lots of students in. That makes sense. Flammable items out there are burning. Now, one thing I really like is that our personalities have some similarity. I noticed that our view on life. So I kind of wanted to focus on that and philosophy because I don't take life so seriously and I don't give it so much weight. So I wanted to go with this one. It kind of reminded me of Jim Carrey one time when he was talking to an interviewer and he said, we don't really exist. What do you think about the idea that we don't really exist or maybe we give a bit extra weight to our humanity more than it is? Well, I adjust it. Yeah, I I think we... We, obviously, we exist relative to one another mm-hmm. in real time, um, but um, I think the, uh, I mean, do we actually exist as individuals is a really interesting question. I think probably we don't exist as individuals as much as we think, but of course, the information that we propagate um, from one individual to the other does exist, and I think that has a greater value of existence than us because it will live longer. You know, that we are just... The universe embodies matter in us to just basically do crazy shit, and so I like so the so to some degree does you know consciousness exist? Free will, my ego, your ego, 
they do. They're rather utilitarian, right? Our ego is quite important. That means we protect ourselves. We don't get eaten. We look after our bodies. We try and propagate. Um, and then obviously we want to generate ideas and then protect them with our physical being. And so in that case, we probably do exist because those ideas exist. And our, our um, ego gives agency to the ideas, which is a really, I think, important idea itself, that the idea itself has agency, not you, and that you give it agency through your ego. I get that concept. It actually just reminded me of Professor Caleb Sharp, which is how I found out about you in the first place, and uh, information and how it has its own life. I like that you say that. So the ego gives agency to an idea. How can a person take it? Is there any way to take advantage of that concept to propagate things or have more uh, effort? Yeah, I mean, ideas are really important. Without ideas, we wouldn't, or imagination and, and abstraction, we wouldn't have, you know, um, uh, we wouldn't have any of the technology we have. We wouldn't have a, a lot of our culture, a lot of the memes, um, good or bad. Um, I, you know, I mean, tick, I never thought I'd think, but TikTok seems to be the, one of the highest current forms of evolution in the universe, right? <laughs> uh, um, which is kind of batshit crazy. Um, I don't agree with Caleb's notion of information, but I think we can dig into that. Caleb's a really smart guy and he's been thinking deeply, but he's thinking like a physicist where he is above the action. And whereas he's actually not above it, he is in it. Okay, as good as Caleb is, he's not God. And physicists, in a way, don't understand they're not observer gods. They are in the chain of events. And that provides a critical blind spot. Is that an item that usually physicists would have, like, layers of, is it abstraction? And so they would think they are underneath, like as a deconstructionist, so they're at the base level, and then biology and chemistry and others are above, and then so on? Yeah, but the, I think they have it wrong. I think physics is in a dead end right now. Physics is very good at explaining very simple things, low memory things, particles in the universe, structure of the universe. These things require low memory. Um, and physis physicists are rejoicing in how good their low memory um, uh, descriptions are. And there's no, there's no taking away from them. We should rejoice in those, the, the success of modern physics. But modern physics can't explain some really important things about what physics, what chemistry and biology does, and ultimately the way life is. And some people say, "Get out of me! Get out of this!" By saying, "Well, um, you've got to give us a more concrete problem. You know, where is the gap in physics?" And I think there are some really concrete gaps, and I think that we need to stop playing with the term information because I think information is misused terribly. Mm -hmm. It's like acting like the data and the bits are a separate entity that we have created and it exists yeah. unrelated and to us. that's completely false. Mm. Like, demonstrably false. <laughs> because it's a bit like saying, I've got two boxes of sand, and in one box I'm going to basically draw a letter, let's say A, mm -hmm. right? And then I'm going to think that the other box of sand is going to read the box of sand and become the letter A. Well, that can't happen without a state machine doing it. Well, the state machine is an abstraction invented by the physicist. So how does, in the material world, how does information get moved from one object to the other without, without an, a, a machine interacting? And where did that machine come from? And the machine that does that copying happens to be a four-billion-year-old four machine. So, so it's a blind spot, and it's wrong. Like, not just, not just politely wrong, 
completely wrong. Not politely at all. <laughs> well, not. I don't have to be rude. Right, it's right, a great right. idea, right? Is that, you know, uh, the idea that there is a data ohm is completely wrong. There's an action ohm. Oh. Action ohm. Mm-hmm. I think which kind of builds... I mean, I think the, the, the information idea, certainly one that Caleb has talked about, is really good because he's brought to our attention that there is all this data. And then I think that sets up the argument very nicely to say, well, where... In what um, substrate does that data reside? And more importantly, the most important, is what mechanism do you need to copy that data from one substrate to another? And if that, and if that substrate, if that mechanism itself is a substrate, then you're going back to your four billion year old, you know, data transfer protocol. That's true. Is it somewhat? Is it related to, like, if you see a, I don't know if it's quantum bit or if you see a particle using the detector by the time you've detected it you've altered it no not really but i mean i i think that's a so that's so uncertainty i mean the fact we think in position space and not momentum space is interesting i would like to make perceptor a kind of perceptual machines that thinking momentum space that would be kind of cool put on your momentum glasses let's just go <laughs> yeah um um that's i like fine. momentum yeah i like momentum too but i would say that no um Physic, the the world is the world is fundamentally um, quantum. Um, we're not fundamentally. There is a scale at which things are quantum, and that means that basically, literally, things are so light when you interact with them, they move, right? And um, and and those objects are they are quantized to, because of the way there are discrete solutions to the to the the Schrodinger equation, um, and that's fine. But then we don't know what layer there is below that, and there is a layer below it. And the fact that we don't understand quantum mechanics is another blind spot. So physics, you know, has a number of, of problems. They think information kind of just exists outside of, the, you know, just in outside of stuff. The physicists have the information false, because the, they think the universe had to start with a low entropy state just randomly. False. They think that the second law of thermodynamics. It's just a law, false, it's not. It's an observed tendency. We can't explain why. So we don't explain time. And then, and we can't explain um, how um, matter is able to generate novelty in physics. So these are big problems, right? That we cannot explain. And this, this fact that we don't understand novelty, um, and then from that three will, consciousness, the origin of life, Right, we're we're at seven deficiencies. Let's go on. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, um, whether quantum computing is going to work ever. There's all these other. So we're at eight. Um, and I, I I think the, oh, and the and the ninth thing is that in a physicist universe, time travel's allowed. I mean, that's just insane. It's not allowed. Any in any intuition will tell you that. So so the problem is that the reason why time travel's allowed is the final nail in the coffin. All ten is that physicists don't understand causation. Now, let's forgive them, because they've done a really amazing job. There's nothing wrong with physics today. It's brilliant. You've got, you know, transistors and iPhones and GPS and, you know, all these things. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But we need to somehow figure out where we come from and how we, we work as observers and how that information or the concept of information and causation and evolution we have to change the words causation and information because they are loaded, I think, and we have to develop an entirely new um, understanding of the world. And it's hard, right? Because we haven't we're, these. There's new phenomena to discover, and we keep put forcing those new phenomena 
Um, as a colleague of mine uh, uh, was saying actually recently, Sarah Walker at Arizona State University, that we keep using old terms with which are loaded to explain new phenomena, which bias our even view of how we then move further. So we have to kind of say, there's this thing that happens over there, uh, you know, over there, and I caused it, but I didn't just cause it using the boring laws of physics. I use, caused it using expanded state space. Let's call it my imagination, mm-hmm. right? So in my head, I could imagine things that could possibly not possibly exist in the universe. But, but now I've imagined them, I can actually make some of them. You know, Elon Musk, presumably with his colleagues at SpaceX, imagined just landing a rocket on legs. Okay, or maybe not. But maybe took this from a science fiction movie. Well, oh, that'd be cool. Let's do that. Why is that not possible? And then they made it happen. And I mean, I, you know, I remember watching the live feed when those rockets landed and he landed rockets on legs. I mean, how amazing is that? It's super amazing. It kind of connects with that why not philosophy, which I've been seeing lately on some TikToks, classic. But why not that thing? It's like a vision. Do you ever think about like a different, I'm always people oriented. Do you ever think about a differentiation between people as those who like to pin things down, which I believe you're saying the pinning down is the issue here, trying to put this rule that's from then and now this explains everything versus there can be more creative uh, like a networking connection yeah, of I mean, thoughts i think it's more, i mean there's more than two types i think there's three types there's the pinning down and there's the and there's the let's just be completely open-ended and then there is this in between where we can say well how can we how can we take these our imagination and our technical um um skills and get to a solution because there are things we can imagine that are impossible, okay? And there are things that we can imagine which are boring and <laughs> obvious, yeah. okay? And we need to find the ones in the middle. Right. Right. The boring is never going to inspire us anyway to get there. Yeah, I mean, look, I just don't like being physics ex- phys- explained, right? You know, uh, uh, right. Phys- <laughs> phys- explained. Where, where someone phys- explains me and says, of course, it's because of the core model. And so, okay, so why does life exist? Oh, because of the core model. What does the future of the universe look like? Oh, I, I can work it out just now. It's entirely deterministic. I'll use quantum mechanics, many worlds. I'll become an Everedian, and, and here it all is. That's fundamentally wrong because time is a thing. It's not an add-on. And once you understand, start to understand time as a thing, then you understand what's going wrong in physics. Like it's not an add-on. That's a valid point. It's taken on as another thing that we included in the system to add as a detail. But no, it's you're in it. You're part of it. That is a different way to think about it. So would you say that physics is not like... Because always I've thought it's been represented that physics is underneath at the bottom and then things build on top of that. Would you say that biology and chemistry and physics or the other sciences are on the same playing field? Um, I would say the following, and I think that there's the, the, the terms bio, physics, bio, chemistry, and biology are, are now should be removed, okay? There should be no... When physicists superiorly say, you know, everything's physics, no, that's not correct. Uh, and when, bio, when chemists say, you know, everything's chemistry, no, it's not correct. What, what it, let's just say we're materialists, okay? Or we're, we're matterists, whatever it is. Matterists mm-hmm. is a good one. Or a matter of physicist. <laughs> <laughs> no right. word. Yeah, well, some bit, we play with stuff. Right. And so physicists play with low memory stuff. Right. right. So that means there's, a, there's not that many things to, there's not that many degrees of freedom. They will argue against this, but I mean, there's it for the system to become um, um, uh, kind of unique. Um, 
you, you need memory. So basically that physics, chemistry, biology, social sciences, financial systems, crypto, TikTok, blah, 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 all on this line from memory. So you start at the origin of the universe, you have low memory events, right? So you just can't possibly store those states. So the process of causation, special causation, let's call it, not physics, physical causation, mm -hmm. can't yet occur. It's just right. normal causation. Laws right. of the universe, boom, 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 things bumping in, quantum fields being quantum fields, all that stuff. Then, through chemistry and electrons, we know, I mean, it might be through other stuff, but right now, we observe through chemistry, we can start to remember more of the past. And that, and that is where the origin of life happens. And then l higher memory, biology, where you have a genome, and then you have the ability to store information about the past and the present, and therefore guess what's going to happen in the future. And if you can guess what's going to happen in the future, you can maximize your existence function. Amazing prediction. Yeah, not even the brain, even right. subconsciousness um, in a bacterium. So a single bacterium can anticipate from cues that it's getting from the environment and what it remembers happened before in some oscillators that it's kind of stored or some genetic material. Say, oh, there's about to be a period of famine or I'm about to get a shed load of food. So let's get prepared. And it then changes its states in response to those in a non-trivial way. And that, non that transition to non-triviality comes with memory. So now, the difference between physics and chemistry and biology is about the amount of memory available. So the physical laws, there's no, law, there's no universal laws in the universe. It's the wrong way of looking at it. It's about the amount of memory. So gravity requires a low number of things to specify gravity, right? So therefore, in the universe, everything can do it. Got access to that probability space. But then with chemistry, okay, most things in the universe, rocks, planets, silicates, carbon, blah, blah, but suddenly TikTok, I'm pretty sure there are no TikToks elsewhere in the universe. There might be other things where aliens are kind of, you know, if they get to consciousness and they want to video themselves obsessively to make a new type of uh, uh, um, self-referencing system, but I'm pretty sure that TikTok is such an extraordinarily rare well, not a rare, it looks rare, but it's obviously there's a well-defined causal chain going back billions of years, mm -hmm. right? But that, but the further away you get from the origin of, of um, the, the, the open-ended memory generation or evolution, you have to retrace those steps. So that means if you want TikTok, you have to go back to the origin of life and understand and get to TikTok. This is very funny because sometimes I've mentioned, I like the memory concept, I have to say. That seems to be the thing I'm most attached to. Things that have very low memory are the things that I avoid, me personally, because they don't have, like, depth, or you can't see, like, compounding growth from them. Mm -hmm. They're just going to stay. It's like sand at a beach. Even sand maybe has more than some things, but it's not going to change. 1,000 years from now, nothing interesting. Whereas you go higher up in the chain, you have more ch uh, chance of growth and development. Mm -hmm. TikTok I look at as, like, even though I see the content it doesn't seem very enlightening but uh, the what it is is something that you could only get there from had to be instagram had to be this had to be this 500 years ago people talking hieroglyphics something like that one yeah, by one exactly it gets to that point yeah you can see the chain the whole way and it was bound to be that's the funny thing to me like well <laughs> it's not bound to i mean this is a really interesting thing right the universe to me appears to have to be deterministic but it's not it's something else it's deterministic, but when you have time as a thing, so if you just say, right, the universe doesn't, sorry, time is not emergent, time is fundamental. There are time particles, right? Whatever they are, time particles. Then from those, space emerges. And then from those, um, 
um, the, 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 the fields that we know that give energy and matter emerge. So actually physics is an emergent property of time and chemistry is an emergent property from physics with memory and then biology. And so this, type, this concept of emergence should be done away with and said, no, no, emergence is a catch-all term. When they define emergence, you're like, well, you know, emergence is well when things happen and they look patterns and da, 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 and you know, can we have a beer and you know, <laughs> it's like, no, come on, look, in in the in as if you're thinking critically, you can't just say what emergence is. Emergence is a process by which the universe is able to establish a dynamic that has a larger memory, and that memory is sustained as long as that energy that that object has a bit of self-reference. So be it a hurricane, a flame, uh, uh, birds um, flocking. Uh, um, and so emergence is actually, again, a false term, like information and causation should be put in the bin, along with complexity as well. Those are out. Yeah. And we need to start again and say, what do we actually precisely mean by these terms? And so complexity is a good one because we don't know what complexity means. Okay. But when we work in the individual domain, say looking at the complexity of a molecule okay then we might give we might gain something from that so that's useful also in mathematical complexity there's a lot to be gained there looking at um functions in mathematics and say well is this a harder problem or an easier problem than this because in mathematics we, in mathematics because it's well defined relatively well defined not perfect there are inconsistencies um and we can have some fun in there but it's when you port those terms across domains that they lose meaning and that's really a problem because we don't have to think about that in a different way are there any terms that you are very fond of or they apply readily well yeah i mean there's plenty of terms in i mean i i'm like that i understand what matter is and energy is right and i and i and i think that time as an as as a um, irreversible, um, non-negotiable entity is really useful, mm-hmm. but we we need to do get away with the idea that time is reversible, right? Now, if you now you say, but oh, but thinking about reversing time is really interesting in physics, and you can do lots of things. Sure, but let's do this. Let's we sit down, and we're now going to imagine a process where we can um, um, pause time or go back in time. But to do that, we need actually to go. We need to have a time budget going forward. We can't stop. So outs, nothing exists outside of time. And when you get it, you're like, ah, oh, do I have enough time to imagine a system where there's no time and then do work on it? Yes, those are mathematically beautiful objects, but we require time to do them. Right. And and that's really again, if you're in that chain rather than sitting above it, you see the universe differently. Time is no longer optional. You cannot get away with it. There's no time. There's nothing. So when people say, "Oh, the Big Bang," there must there's no time was created. The Big Bang. That's just nonsense. <laughs> there was time running, and then the, the, otherwise there would have been no. Because everyone says, "Oh, no, no," because we see the Big Bang, then that's an ordering of events from there, and we add on the metric of time. But and then you say, "Well, how did things happen?" Oh well, we don't know. Breakdown. It's it's this will become religious. So, you know, so the physicists put their religion back to the beginning of time and then they have to have a religious event, non-falsifiable. It's just a belief. And then and then I've got them because a pure chemist, me, a metachemist, I think I am today, can say you don't need to have belief system. What about if we have a, a 
a self-consistent view of the universe that doesn't require a belief in the origin of the universe. Uh, I'm not saying Fred Hoyle was right and we're always here, but I'm saying we live in a matrix of time. And time is not negotiable. So what happens to the universe when time becomes non-negotiable? How does that change? Well, we get free will, <laughs> right? We get free will and we get novelty and we get open-endedness and we understand we cannot ever in principle predict the future and here's why i've got my universe in a box so here's my universe in the box universe in the box right and then um i then want to calculate the properties of this now let's say i i can probably make a computer as big as my universe but if time is going suddenly in the next step the universe has suddenly got bigger it's a bigger box so the computer i had in in the prior universe is not big enough to do the next one so in principle i never have enough computation catch up that's why the universe is open and that's why um that's uh it's very powerful because suddenly we have our free will because it's not possible to compute what's going to happen next and therefore it's not it's not a problem sorry no that's a great point it's kind of like sort of I, i think about sometimes if you're following somebody you can never outdo them because you're following them you're always a step behind or such. Yeah. And they're, they're basically, they are in charge of their state space or their, their pattern in the universe extending in time and they can innovate. And innovate says, your imagination is almost holographic in time or what it does, it says, right, I've got time going, but I can imagine what might I have to do in 10 seconds time so I can plan for that. So suddenly I can do crazier stuff. Right. And there's another crazier person with more imagination than you does the next thing. And then before you know it, you get to TikTok again. And then it all leads <laughs> it all leads to TikTok somehow. Their company will be so happy when they oh boy, our marketing. We don't oh, need we should market. go back, yeah, should go to Twitter or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But who cares? Social media, that's all I mean. It's Twitter is way cooler. I'm yeah. They're they're both good. I, I don't know how to use any of them appropriately. <laughs> they kind of connect with personality. I always think about personality and each one. What would be a better way to use each one? When you say that, I don't know how to use it. What would be like the best way, or do you like think of like the popular, the most popular people and comparing to them? No, my my problem with social media is that um, I'm a very direct person, um, uh, fairly neurotypical, I guess. That means um, I just say what I think. Um, I, I don't think to, that's so typical. Uh, uh, atypical. Atypical. Oh, atypical. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And uh, I don't mind. I mean, I didn't think that uh, my directness was atypical. I thought most people were direct. I'm just direct to everybody. Why not? Why? Why? Why just say? Why just when someone says, do you think this is a good idea? And you're like, oh, and then English, certainly I notice in English and American culture is very polite. So, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. And they're thinking that's a terrible idea. And, and you have to spend ages. It's really inefficient. Now, the problem is with being direct is you can be if people get offended. And I'm like, and I go at people. So I'm very careful as a PhD supervisor, as a postdoc mentor, as a colleague. So you know, that's a really shit idea. It's not the same thing as me saying you're a shit person, person. right? It's like, that's a really shit idea. And they're like, oh, no, 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 but that's great, right? It's great we've worked out that's a really bad idea, but it would be really cool if you do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's wrong because what you've said is you don't understand the math here. I understand the math. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great. So then together by pointing out being direct, you can get further quicker. And, and I think on social media, what happens is that people uh, who are... I don't know, they just weaponize it, right? It's about emotion. I don't do emotion. If you want to do emotion, just go and have a one-to-one chat with someone and work out your emotions actually are a cue for something. Your emotions are for those... I was going to say, no, that sounds really condescending. Emotions are in those situations where we really don't yet 
uh, logically understand the situation. Our emotion explains a is a mismatch between what we want to happen and what is actually happening. That's what emotion is. And and so either catch up or be emotional. Right. Sitting in that is not altering it. Yeah. And so and so I think that social media kind of exacerbates all the bad things and you weaponizes it. And it could be a bit of fun. I I like to kind of, you know, make direct points that are not offensive but annoying. The problem with social media is it's very difficult to to reassure people you're trying to be annoying as in critical thinking not offensive you don't have to be a racist right or pretend racist or really racist i hope you know to basically to get people to critically think and you can do it respectfully and i'm you know as you can gather i've fallen i kind of fallen foul of you know and well i I'm, i'm never offensive on social media or i never intend to be offensive sometimes i write write something and people were offended but now look at the tweet, let's say, and I'm like, that's not offensive. I'm like, ah, but they're, they've read, they're, I used to become an expert in writing tweets which people could get maximum offense from because they would read their own problem in there and reflect it back and be offended. But I've become very good now at saying, no, I didn't that's, well, not read that. The words are not offensive. Your interpretation of the words on you are offensive. And of course, if that's the same with everybody, they do come back with the same thing, then you've offended them. That's bad. But if everyone is offended for a different reason, that's kind of cool. Because basically what it means is like there's exposing a an inconsistency in our firmware and our programming and the way that we look at the world. Being a, being offended most of the time is actually people aren't that offended. They are shocked from then what they are expecting cognitively and socially and they get something abnormal the prediction is off yeah and then they basically go back to type right they go their their subconscious brain kicks in their prime prime you know kind of like instinct we are four billion years of instinct and so when we all when we cancel each other we're like i just like to think how would the how would cave people have cancelled each other right well they just kicked each other out right, right? it's like <laughs> we don't want you you're offensive just get out of our team out of our group go away uh, you know it's okay then the person is kind of kicked out of the group and they can go away and say well am i being kicked out because i've been offensive to this particular set of people the problem on social media is that there's no one group now it's all everywhere so you can end up cancelling each other but it's really weird but anyway i don't know i haven't been cancelled yet touchwood but um uh I'm, but i mean i'm not sure if i would notice if i was unless i got fired too many good points there it kind of goes to a lowest common denominator of cancellation if you want to adjust to every person now you're just saying things like have a great day and that's all you can say basically and then somebody will be like how dare you say that what if my day is not great you have no room <laughs> you have no room oh yeah that's a fun that's i'll have to try that when it says have a great day i'm not having a great day i'm so offended by that <laughs> comment it's like yeah i think it our culture is shifting right and what it's all about is about power and i i as a scientist i don't want power over people what i want is i want thinking and so and occasionally i have to say look you know you you you're offended because you think i'm doing things inappropriately for culture fine let's sort that out how am i stopping you be the best of yourself am i doing if i'm doing that as a mentor i need to be re-educated if i'm if i'm thinking you think you cannot do something or that you are inferior or that you are somehow prohibited or not free then that's a real major problem that has to be solved right when I was in the re- retard, I'm not sure what I'd say, ret- retard group, we used to call it, but remedial, okay. low edu- at school, 
I used to go to the, you know, maths teacher when I was like, I don't know, 11 years old and say, how do I get better? It's like, you don't have the skills. I'm like, but, but, but let's pretend. What can I do? What, and like, no, no, you can't. You're just that bad. I'm like. That's worse, well, I think, right? Yeah. So I would, but what I used to do is, and it prepared me as an academic. So, but what do you need me to do? And said, so, oh, all right, try and do this. And I go away and do it. And go, okay. Oh, all right. I can't, I'm not sure you did that. Did you just get someone to do it for you? I'm like, no. It's like, oh, I think you you got you cheated. It's like, well, let's assume I didn't cheat and I can now do this. What do I do now? And then they go, okay, do this. And then and in the end, I used to just keep asking for feedback. And when they said, no, I was failed, or they would reject it, or reject me, reject my efforts, I would just say, well, but okay, that's good. Let's pretend <laughs> there is something I could do because I'm not dead and I don't appear to be dying yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the end, I used to just basically wouldn't, I was so persistent. I, I maybe I was that I mean dumb is the wrong word. Maybe I was that um um unskilled or uneducated or unable, but my determination to kind of interact and get critical feedback for that time in my life, particularly but I suppose between the ages of seven and twelve, um, was instrumental in me as an academic now to say, Well, why can't you do this? I have lots of students. Like, you know, one one student who came to me from an internship in Germany in a college. She came to me and um, worked as a technician in my group for a year. And it became obvious she was as talented as the first-year PhD students. And she you could just on, see it. Yeah, well, no, not just see it. All the, everyone, I wasn't just deciding, you know, like the Pope or something. <laughs> she was, like, interacting with everybody, and they were able to interact with equals. And it was really great. And then it got to the point where she was going to leave and said, oh, I guess I'm going to have to go to university now. You've made me love chemistry. I want to do chemistry. I have to do a five-year degree and I'll do a PhD. And it's like, and she's quite, she was quite not old, but, you know, older. older. And I just said, well, why can't you do a PhD now? She's like, why? I don't think we can do that. I was like, well, why are you not asking the question? You're indistinguishable from my current PhD students who are brilliant. You're brilliant. Let's ask a university. We made a case. She's now doing a PhD. She skipped university. You would you say you're also adding self-esteem in a way like you kind of view where there's a lack of self-esteem and you see an opportunity to bring it? I think um, I can, by being direct with people, I can be quite honest. And by being honest, I can enable people to go, oh, yeah, I can do this. So and I think they're able to then build their own self-esteem by asking questions. What is the barrier to me achieving this thing? What is the barrier for me? You know, is it luck? Maybe, right? Or how do you get luck? Well, I met luck. Well, you have to look at the statistics, right? Right. Some people say, oh, you know, you don't know how lucky you are. It's just your, you know, British Empire, white, whatever. I'm like, okay, there are certain things, of course, I'm privileged. And I, you know, I shouldn't discount that. But everybody's privileged is alive. And everybody needs to basically take account for their particular type of privilege, right? Fine. Let's just try and be respectful of that as human beings because lots of people try to make our lives better in the past and maybe what we should aim to do in our lives is make other people's lives better in the future right it's like a nice thing to pat do pat on the back pat on the back yeah and so but if i can basically get people to question what they're doing and they say how do i get better then i was saying to my then you really get somewhere good and i was saying to one of my postdocs yesterday look i could tell you what to do as the boss but it's not really going to work what what the projects that we do at any one time in the group are based on what you want to do yeah what you can do and what science says is possible to do right and that's it and that's what i do is i just kind of move get those circles together and say there's an intersection here you can do this 
you want to do this, the science looks like it's possible. And all I do is I nudge and say, science says that's impossible. Let's not let's not waste your time in my group. And you know, let's do something else. Right. You know, don't worry. There's no there's no there's no nothing um, you should be embarrassed about when the science says that's impossible. Right. You found something interesting out. You get you tell the world about that and you go on. And I think that's what I can do. And that mechanism of getting people to understand themselves and, and therefore create an, a little bit of confidence in that mechanism, you know, is really the most important way of building self-esteem. There's a lot, and of course, everyone's questioning themselves. But I, would, I did say to someone, you know, and I was, probably shouldn't say this. <laughs> it was quite funny because people suffer from imposter syndrome. Of course we do. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't recognize your imposter syndrome. Of course. I mean, you know, I don't want to be demure. But I mean, I do say sometimes look, that you're just, some people don't, they don't have the syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Inverted. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, what? You can't say that. It's like, well, no. Look, I think you've got to understand science is hard. It's not for everybody. And uh, I think one of the problems we have, we have, some people say there's a mental health crisis in academia. And that's like, and which is caused by the bad environment. No, I think actually, some of the difficulties are caused by a too nice environment where we're like, we're not saying, oh, you're not really cut out for that. You're not really getting energy from that. You find it too hard. You're not making progress, right? It's a bit like saying, I'm going to enter a tennis academy and I want to become a world number 100 ranked above tennis player. And you're not, right? You're constantly 300. And you say, well, yeah, actually, the ranking system would throw you out and say, well, you're not there, right? Right. Give yourself, how much time do you want to give yourself to get there? play the tournaments are you there not there okay don't worry move on no harm lost right and i think we should do that a little bit more in some aspects of uh, academia right the thing that comes to my mind is that what some things that you would do that would seem like oh that's really hard hitting and you're really um agitating a bit actually the other side is not nice in some ways because it's sort of like you're not cut out for that it's auto it's automatically like uh don't try that you're not that it's it doesn't have room yeah i mean i think so my one of my philosophies if 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 i try to say in my group if you try i try Uh, and so and so even if i think so what is my job is my job to provide the environment and to put in the best effort i can and if someone says to me they want to do this thing and even if i don't think they can't do it who am i to say no my teachers told me i couldn't do it my teachers kept saying i was like look do i want to do this i want to become a you know a, a scientist or a you know within the top 100 tennis players in the world don't tell me i can't hold a racket just give me a racket right you know and so my job is not to pronounce my job is to help the individuals and also help my research help the team's research help the university's research and just try and if we fail in the end we make our own decisions right i'm not there going oh yeah yeah told you so i'm like oh we tried right and again it's a function of what can you do what do you want to do and and what what science is possible and sometimes the things that some people want to do in science aren't yet possible so they might be better for them to go oh well that 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 doesn't exist yet i want to do something else you know, and there's no harm in that. I think the the key element of that is that you add in the what's possible so that it's thought about, so that the whole world of possibilities there versus just what we've seen or some other people have done and that's it. Mm-hmm. Limitation. One thing I also wanted to add in is that when you mentioned the thinking, it made me think of Tupac rapper one time when he was in a deposition. They said, what, what do you want people to take from your music? He's like, think. Use your head. And so it was very key for him to have people think. I've always viewed critical thinking as very important. 
And if you're not challenging people or agitating them in some way, it'll be stuck. It's like a time that's uh, stuck in the moment. I like also that view on determinism and free will. So that gives us a good sense of that. I want to transition to, can you let us know a bit about your research and what some things you're currently working on? Yeah, so my research falls into four broad categories. Um, We're trying to find um, a way of making life from scratch. Um, It's not focused on the origin of life, but it would have some um, bearing on that. That's one. Um, in that process, I was building a whole bunch of um, automation because I realized 100 million, a PhD that's 100 million years long was not acceptable to the university. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a planet to play with, so I had to build some automation. When I tried to get funding for that, they said, no, we're not interested in funding that. And I said, what about if I started to discover new drugs and digitize chemistry? They went, we'll fund that. And, and so um, so I built, I've got a digital chemistry team that's basically doing, uh, making molecules using robots. And then, um, and that technology has been used in the Artificial Life Project. And then when I started realizing I could use programming languages to program chemistry, um, I then realized I could then turn it the other way around and say, can I use chemistry or chemical processes to look at computation? Because of course, where did computation emerge from? Much from the human mind, as far as we know it, right? I know computer scientists are a bit like physicists and think the world, the universe is a state machine. That's not entirely correct. Abstractions do not exist outside of our causal chain. They're back to Luca, right? So, you know, we just have no proof that that is correct. Right. So, um, so we're making uh, um, um, chemical computers. And the final thing, perhaps the most profound thing, is I'm trying to understand how a thing called information that Caleb may have referred to and I may refer to as something else but let's use the word information I think it's useful for now and I think Caleb's right to kind of paste that out there and say look there's all this stuff it's and we thing. can mine stuff out of it right mm-hmm. the idea isn't bad it's a great idea and his book is very good at explaining that um, but I want to understand how did chemistry become information processing which is another which is actually the origins of life question but it's not asked in the origin of life way. It's asked more fundamentally. It's a bit like saying, it's a bit like the particle physicists say, well, how do the particles that we have um, work? Where did they come from? And what are we missing? And I think if we could get to that place that the nuclear physicists had between the 60s and the 90s, we're like, yeah, we think this thing might exist according to our theory. And they go found it. I mean, like, how many times did that happen? That was just amazing, right? Um, what we need to do in information and chemistry is say, right, we need to predict that this phenomena is going to exist within a certain, as predicted by a model, and go find it. And right now, we, we, we have a lot of explanatory models, but explanation is not enough. We need prediction, and we need to understand what those lower levels are. And that's what my, my basically my entire research is about. Hmm. One thing about prediction, I was recently reading about that, I wanted to ask, how much do you think of our brains as prediction machines? Um, I think the vast majority of our brain is a, not only a prediction machine, but it's trying to predict and minimize the difference that we see from our, you know, from uh, it, it wants it, from what we experience to what we anticipate. So the brain is a prediction machine, but it's quite a boring one, right? So I think you know, and that, and we, whereas I think the isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we could be less boring? make a wider gap between what we predict and what we see and then and that's where the, the the new states come from right that's like a reduction versus 
expansion of the space between that and then oh we reach for that it's like you're mm -hmm. being pulled towards something further then i can go a little bit that's not as interesting that is more boring actually to me too that's funny uh when i think of our per we have some personality similarities clearly in my in my mind what would you say are some of your key personality traits that you identify with um <laughs> um i suppose i'm i've already said i'm very direct um I don't mind being extremely, I don't, it's like stupid is the wrong word. I don't like being wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I'm really good at being wrong. Good with handling ambiguity. Um, I don't like ambiguity for too long, but I can cope with lots of ambiguity as long as I can start to lay, remove those ambiguities with, um, with questions. Okay. And then also a lot that I do, which I think that I have these direct traits where I'm very similar to some very detailed scientists, which do everything in their conscious brain. But my subconscious brain runs the entire show. I trust my intuition and uh, very, very much. And I think that gets you into trouble. But the nice thing about the way I think that, um, well, the way what I like doing, what gives me a lot of fun, is that my intuition gives me crazy ideas. And I'm like, that's just insane. And then my kind of direct conscious brain basically says, okay, let's test it. And we reduce it, test it, test it, go back, go back, go back. And then we kind of, so it's almost like I use my intuition to take me, imagine. And then I use my conscious brain to be critical and to say, okay, am I deluding myself? And most of the time I am. And I, I can't even convince myself that I'm so, you know, so delusional sometimes. But that's where my directness works because I interact with lots of really smart people. And uh, they just tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then so feedback that, and that and then that changes that reprograms my intuition and i go off and try another thing and then so i really like working in teams in that regard because my unbounded uh, intuition gets bounded by really smart people saying no that's just that's baloney try again so they i think they're my three key um kind of traits and i'm direct um i like to be i like to use my intuition but i update my intuition via interactions with others in a direct and open transparent manner is it sort of like initially a high entropy state and then it consolidates? I I I wouldn't call it entropy. I hate entropy. Well, not a high entropy. I don't know what entropy means other than the observer going down. But yes, it's a it's a it's a high the the possibility state, right? I mm -hmm. would call it because entropy is like a disorder. Right. So I would say I imagine zillions of possibilities, right. and then I then try and pick the one that. I tend to pick the possibility that's going to annoy the most conventional scientists because it's fun. Agitate, shake up, yeah, like a petri dish. It's like, or I'm going to do this thing. You, this can't, it's not possible. You can't do that. And that's one of the things I like. I remember from school, teacher saying, you can't do that. And I'd be like, why? And you're like, because of this. And you write it down. So you're right. Done it now. Why can't I do that? Because of this. Okay, I've done that now. Keep going down the list. And in the end, I'd have nothing reason, nothing left to say, you know, and then you've done it. And then so what, let, let me give you the example of digitizing organic chemistry. Say, I'm going to take all organic synthesis and make it programmable by a robot. And the organic chemist say, you can't do that. It's like, why? Well, chemistry is difficult. Why is it difficult? Well, you have to do reactions. Okay, but what if we automate reactions? And they go, well, reactions don't always work. Okay, how do we make reactions work? And they go, oh, reactions somehow need workup. Okay, we can have a workup. Oh, reactions sometimes fail randomly. Oh, chemistry is magic, is it? <laughs> and then <laughs> that's pretty good and then you're just like yeah we have a working robot <laughs> two, that's pretty good two things came to my mind there one of them is i remember that 
I always go back to some sort of rapper references, but Jay-Z said his uncle told him, you can't do it. But he's like, no, you can't do it. It's like a projection of the person, like basically saying, I can't do it. Um, and then I had another item, but that's the main one I want to focus on. Oh, all, all the things in the past of our history. We've had like thousands of examples of where it's like, you cannot do this. And then it was done. And then that thing that was done is now used. So we would think that we would look back at that. Well, we do. I mean, I think that the current, you know, um, cultural shift in terms of, um, I won't call it the woke culture, because I think that's really unfair. What I mean is that people say are constrained by their realities, right? And Mm -hmm. also there are power structures that say you can't do this. So take in the way that some people correctly say our society is more racist than it should be because and it's not because you know i'm not racist because some of my institutions have structures that now can be interpreted as racist it's just like they grew out of a different time so now we go well why can't we change that right so that clearly is a wrong that doesn't op- that doesn't allow the maximum number of people to have the the maximum number of ideas right so we change it you know, and so what we have to understand is where the putting structures in place that prevent people from doing stuff is needed for institutions, needed for our culture. But having a system by which they can be fairly updated according to the needs of humanity now and critically anticipating the needs of humanity 10 years, 20 years, 100 years from now is what we are perhaps lacking because we've kind of we're, we've invented the printing press equivalent the Internet and we've weaponized information and so there's this war going on between people that say, you can't do that. You cannot talk to each other. Don't do that. That's bursting my bubble. I want control. Right. So these people say, no, no, actually, we want control. And we want to destroy everything. Whereas if you destroy everything, that's not going to be good either. There needs to be this very collaborative updating of our culture to say, well, what is it we want from one another? We, we're happy that farmers farm. We're happy that people work at the water works and we get water and electricity. Right. We like these things, right? You Stable. Know, you know, I mean, even if you think that, co- you know, Bill Gates inserted a, you know, a chip into your COVID vaccine, you're still willing to use the mobile phone, right? Right. <laughs> so if I got a ludicrous, you know, it's like... That's you true. Have, you don't have a chip in your brain, but you do have a chip in your pocket. Right there. That you're letting everyone hack. It's like right there. <laughs> and so, uh, so I think that that... So it's about power struggles. And also, there's a power struggle between the young and the old, because the old haven't yet understood how they are not correctly anticipating the future needs of humanity. And the young people going, we're, 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 it, this is always going to happen, because we're better educating people. We are getting better. Right. The current struggle is not because humanity is decomposing, it's because we're doing good things. Right. So they see things. Yeah, and we just need to update our institutions. Our institutions aren't failing. They're just a bit slow at being updated. And and so so I think there's lots of interesting things happening, but it all rests in the you can't do. And as long as I'm allowed, if I'm told construct, if I'm told I can't do something, but then when I say why not, that that is given respect. And then I can say, well, because of this. And then I address the reason. Then that's a productive line of argument. I think anyone should be allowed to use. And that I've used it to great effect. Right. I can feel that one. These relate with me. Now, in the interest of time, because I'm always matching with that, and we are in time. It's not just the thing over there that we (laughs) use as an element. I would like to check who are some individuals you look to or their example is something you have followed, and um, what is a message you would want to tell all people about uh, either life or your research that's something you'd want to share to people. 
I mean, there's lots of really interesting individuals out there that too many to, to name. I mean, um, I think that um, I would like to encourage people who've, who've been told that they can't do stuff to ask why. And, you know, and if they want to, to try. Who, who, who am I to stop you from trying? Um, and I think that, I mean, I do respect people who are not just imaginative, but also then... Um, um, I suppose have a, are able to try and converge or get people to help them converge. So I think that the best people we interact with are respect one another and collaborative. But you know there are lone, I wouldn't say lone geniuses because that's not right. But there are lone crazy thinkers that need the help of others. There are lone innovators that need the help of others, and there are teams that work together with these individuals. And so. I know there's lots of narratives like, you know, was this person right? Was that person right? What is the answer? I would just say, find your way that works for you. And I, the message I'd like to give people is that um, there's no right or wrong answer. You have to think critically and just try and be as objective as possible about um, the problem in front of you and your likelihood of success. Okay. And oh, to talk about people I respect, there are too many, um, but there are Obviously, people in biology and physics I've talked about in mathematics. I really love talking to people who are willing to talk to me from different disciplines. So I mentioned Sarah Walker earlier. Uh, there are there are people kind of uh, it, across the whole discipline. You know, in the UK, there's a there's a chemist in Manchester, Richard Wimpenny, who is an inorganic chemist who's given me lots of help in the past. <laughs> Things are hilarious to say that he was saying and telling me that you know I'm. I'm more interesting when I'm wrong than, than most other people are when they're right, you know, which I think is kind of a compliment, which is kind of nice. And just generally trying to um, just embrace the open-mindedness in people and just try to encourage people to ask, well, why can't I do this? Why is this not possible? And also, if I could do it, what would be the effects, right? So one of the things I'm actively thinking about right now, I've just made a robot that can digitize chemistry. How can we use that to get drugs to the, the poorest people in the world? And how can we use, how can we think about how people might abuse that to stop people kind of breaking the drug laws or blowing themselves up or using it for terrorism or bioweapons? So there's all these kind of conflicting discussions. And the only way of doing it is being transparent and that's one of the reasons why I like social media, because I can put out ideas and people say, no, that's just completely insane. Don't do that. You're like, oh, yeah, I couldn't think of that. But I think a lot of people now, one mistake and you, you know, in any forum, be it a scientific paper or in social media or anywhere. And, you know, that's that's you over. And I think that's really the wrong thing. We are, you know, we are our mistakes. <laughs> We're, and our mistakes are good. You know, we should, we, as long as you learn from them. Right. Um, and I think that we are now moving into a domain now where people are getting better at understanding they can move on from their mistakes. Adaptability as such. Yeah. And just, you know, I want to understand how the universe works. If I knew how the universe worked, I would have done the experiment already. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I don't know how the universe works, I mean, like, but I'm going to try and do my best to, to find a little bit more out about it. And maybe with other people's help and vision and kind of and collaboration and funding. And, and you know what? Just a little bit of humility. Um, we don't know how it works. I could discuss many different topics with you easily because it's right up my interests and alley. But Professor Leroy Cronin of the University of Glasgow. We are at the University of Glasgow. I would like to thank you for having joined on this episode and discussing a plethora of topics with me. You're welcome. Very nice to be here. Thank you.
Glad to have you on. And we are out.